0: Thank you, Galderma. This is a product theater that's sponsored by Galderma, and I have the uh, pleasure of uh, introducing uh, a friend and colleague, Dr. Leon
1: uh, Kursik, who is a board-certified dermatologist. He graduated uh, with honors from New York uh, Health Science Center in Brooklyn, uh, also uh, is a uh, Moes surgeon and completed his fellowship uh, under the auspices of Dr. Frederick Moes, so one of the original pioneers. He currently teaches at Indiana University Medical Center.
0: He's a clinical uh, professor of dermatology. He also teaches at Mount Sinai in New York.
1: Uh, D- Dr. Kursik is an author. He's uh, uh, countless uh, scientific articles and lectures and abstracts and posters. Does a lot of research.
0: Uh, certainly a friend of the SDPA and uh, please uh, join me in welcoming uh, Dr. Kursik. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for inviting me back to SCBA. Uh, It's an honor and pleasure to be here. Uh, For the next uh, 30 to 45 minutes, I'm gonna be discussing psoriasis with an emphasis on sequential treatment with topical corticosteroids as well as vitamin D3 analogs. Um, and then we'll hopefully have some time for a uh, question and answer session. And you have some cards in front of, uh, on your tables. If you don't feel like asking the question on podium, please write down the question and somebody will pick it up and then uh, we'll go over those questions. Now, as you know, this is a Galaderma sponsored uh, program. So we have to stay unlabeled, both for Clobex spray as well as Vectical ointment. Hence, we have the um, legal slides, I should say. And usually, those slides are boring, but you know, there's always something good in every, in every slide. And if you look here under the warning session, actually, it's a nice information that Clobex spray is the only clebetazole formulation that's approved for four weeks by FDA. All other clobetazole formulations are approved only for two weeks that includes the form, and that includes all the generic formulations. So if you think about it, you know, from the practical perspective, when you see a patient, you give them a prescription, when do you tell them to come back? I usually see them in four weeks. So now you give them a product that they can only use for two weeks, and then what are you gonna do? Say, okay, use it for two weeks, don't do anything for another two weeks, and then come back? You know, that doesn't work well. So it is really useful to have this knowledge and to have that background that really Clovex rays is approved for four weeks. You can comfortably say that, go ahead and use this for four weeks and then come back in four weeks, which will set you up for the next treatment option. And most likely your next treatment option is gonna be a vitamin D product, hence is a vertical uh, legal slide here. Now, with the vectical, the same idea, if you look at the warning precaution here, it says that maximum weekly dose should not exceed 200 grams, right? Think about the Dovonex ointment that we used to have or the calcipitrion. It's approved only for 100 grams per week. So here again, and that drug was approved probably 20 years ago when FDA was so lax when approving products. Even then, they approved it only for 100 grams. So now with FDA being so restrictive and being so careful, they approved this for 200 grams a week. Again, that tells you that speaks about the safety of the product. So those are pretty safe uh, products that you can use comfortably, and you don't have to worry about somebody is going overboard or somebody going to abuse them. Now, the legal slides are over, so let's go ahead and take a look at the psoriasis. And uh, really, all of you guys are familiar how the psoriasis looks like clinically, right? Thick, scaly plaques, silvery-looking scale. Uh, well-demarcated lesions, elbows and knees. Pathophysiology, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the histopathology, again, you know exactly what it looks like under the slide. But the pathophysiology of psoriasis is fascinating, it's evolving. We still don't know exactly. If anybody tells you, if I stand here and tell you that I know exactly what's going on with psoriasis and how it's being created, you know that it's not true. Um, Actually, if you look at the left side here on the, um, on the epidermal disease side, um, that's nothing new, right? When I, was 20 years ag- uh, when I was a resident 20 years ago, we all knew that psoriasis is a skin disease. And it's uh, the keratinocyte, the hyperproliferate, you get the scaliness, and then also there's dysregulation of the differentiation, so the bottom line is a skin disease. That has changed. Now look on the other side, the immune dysfunction. Now we know that psoriasis is an immune-mediated skin disease. And that knowledge came really with the advance of the biologics because there are TNF alpha inhibitors, there is um, IL-22 inhibitors, and it's not a secret now, we're working on IL-17 analogs as well as inhibitors. So the bottom line is there's all this wealth of knowledge around inflammatory cytokines that are playing a part in pathogenesis of psoriasis. But more recently, within the maybe last year or two, we are also learning that innate immunity is playing an important role in psoriasis. So what are those? Well, the most famous antimicrobial peptide is cathelicidin, right? So innate immunity, we have this antimicrobial peptides on the skin, normal part of our skin that fights against fungus, bacteria, virus, you name it. The most famous one is catalysidin because we know that a lot of work has been done by Dr. Rich Gallo and that's in rosacea. So catalysidins are actually increased in rosacea skin compared to normal skin. How about psoriasis? The other antimicrobial peptide is well known, not as well as catalysidin but is well known in psoriasis is human beta-defensin, two and three. So those are actually involved in psoriasis. And if you take psoriatic skin and you compare it to the normal skin, the human beta-defensin is increased in psoriatic lesion. And actually, if you treat that psoriatic lesion with vitamin D3 analog, the number, the amount of human beta-defensin goes down. human beta-defensin is induced by IL-17. So there is this relationship going on between the inflammatory cytokine, the cellular immunity, and as well as with the innate immunity. And it is very interesting that we're learning that now, you can actually inhibit human beta-defensins with vitamin D3 analog. So that's a new knowledge that just is coming around. The other thing that if you use actually vitamin D3 the catalase are not decreasing are increasing in psoriatic lesion for one reason or another but we don't know why so this is all new fascinating information and evolving knowledge that we just didn't know earlier on so what do we do what do we do what do we treat psoriasis with topical steroids you know they've been around for a long time they are the mainstream of treatment and that's what we do however however topical steroids also have negative impact on the skin. We know all the common side effects, right? The atrophy, telangiectasia, all that good stuff. But there are other things. They actually inhibit lipid synthesis. What does that mean? Well, you know stratum corneum is lipid and um, mortars and the bricks, uh, mortar being the lipid and the bricks being the keratinocytes. So if you impair or inhibit the lipid synthesis, your epidermal barrier will be impaired. So even short-term topical corticosteroid use will impair and disrupt your epidermal barrier, which is not the best thing to the already inflamed skin. In addition to that, it will also perturb the, um, and dysregulate the differentiation of keratinocytes. So really, we have to be, even though topical corticosteroids are great anti-inflammatory and they treat psoriatic lesions really quickly, but we have to be careful and you cannot use it forever and ever. So the dilemma is psoriasis is a chronic disease. So you're not treating contact dermatitis, you're not treating poison ivy where you can use the strongest topical corticosteroid for a couple of weeks and be done with. This is a, you're treating a chronic disease. So you have to have a backup plan. What are you gonna do when you stop your topical corticosteroid? Because you know that it's gonna come back in maybe a week, maybe in a month, but it is the, those lesions are recurrent. They do keep coming back especially on certain locations, elbows and knees. So um, this is actually, it shows what's happening in the psoriatic lesions, but more importantly, what's happening underneath, right? Because the, you can use the sor- uh, corticosteroid and the lesion is gone, but what's happening underneath? So there is a whole new concept of molecular scar of psoriasis that has been evolved. That's another new information that hasn't been really publicized as much. So the work has been done by Jerry Krueger at Rockefeller University in Manhattan. And what they did was they wanted to know what happens after the psoriatic lesion goes away. You treat it, but what happens underneath? So they took about 15 psoriasis patients and they treated them with etanercept, with Umbrella, for 12 weeks. But they also did biopsies before and after treatment in both lesional and non-lesional skin. And they wanted to see what we call disease-related genes. So there are certain disease-related genes to psoriasis that are expressed and they basically express the inflammatory cytokines. So they looked at those genes before and after treatment in both lesional and non-lesional skin. And what they found out that there are, and they did this with the technology called Affymetrix. By the way, that's a company in Massachusetts that um, they have all this gene, uh, genomic um, uh, technology. And so there are almost about uh, 1,000 genes that plays a role, disease-related genes. Out of those 1,000, 248 did not improve 75% or more. So even though the skin lesion was gone, the genetic expression, or they call the residual, residual uh, genes, um, they were still there. They were not corrected. And those are the ones that actually caused the, uh, some of the pro-inflammatory cytokines to go up, including IL-12 and IL-17 and interferon gamma. And we know that we actually have biologics for IL-17 now as well as for IL-12. So you know that, just because the lesion is gone doesn't mean that there is no inflammation. There is still inflammation underneath. So that needs to be handled. That needs to be taken care of, which becomes a difficult problem because now you're treating something that's not there. And it is difficult to convince the practitioner as well as the patient to treat something that's not there. So we've got to think about that. And that's where the vitamin D3 comes into the picture because we cannot treat continuously with a topical corticosteroid. So vitamin D3 is actually a very useful um, molecule. It's anti-inflammatory. It's anti-proliferative, right? It actually regulates hair follicular cycle. It almost has anti-tumor promotion. So it's a very, very useful molecule. We also, if you remember, if we go back and um, remember what I said about the innate immunity and how it inhibits human beta-defensing and uh, decreases the IL-17A also, so now you have a win-win situation. Even though you have a molecular scar, but you can treat that molecular scar that you cannot see with your uh, eye actually, you can treat that inflammation with vitamin D3 and you can avoid the topical corticosteroid and its side effects for long term. So now, all those things, all those things that I said, we actually clinically knew, right? Because we always know that psoriasis is a chronic disease and we always want to do something to maintain the disease but we didn't have good proof, we didn't have scientific proof. So all this story of the molecular scar, the innate immunity, it sort of speaks to the proof that what we already innately know. Because even 15, 20 years ago, when originally vitamin D3 came along, there were studies as sequential treatment, combination treatment, rotational treatment, whatever you wanna call it, we also always use those steroids and vitamin D3 together. This is actually an old study that they did, so they took about 40 patients and they used um, calcipetreon and halobetazole, one in the morning, one in the evening for two weeks. And then the patients who improved on that regimen were rolled over into another study that used halobetazole on the weekends only and then one arm of the patients, some of the patients were randomized into calcipetreon during the week and the other group of the patients were randomized into just placebo. So basically, once the people did well, they randomized the patient into either halobetazole alone on the weekends, or the halobetazole and the calciopetreon together weekdays and weekends. And what happened was, as you can see, six months later, people who were on the calciopetreon and halobetazole combination They did much better. Almost 80% of them, they maintained their achievement, their success, I should say, or their clearance that they achieved after two weeks of the initial treatment versus the people who were on placebo, no no vitamin D. So we know that clinically vitamin D does help to maintain the disease and to control the disease. But now we do have more molecular and scientific proof. the easy thing that we do, unfortunately, we treat patients as they flare, even though we know the opposite, right? But it is very, very difficult. It's a paradigm shift, and it, is, it takes a lot of convincing uh, to treat somebody that, or to treat a lesion that's not there that you cannot visibly see, and it makes it very, very difficult. So the treatment should be really flare, topical corticosteroids, then your topical vitamin D3 for maintenance in order to extend that flare. That would be the ideal thing to do. And other specialties have accomplished that. You think about diabetic patients, right? They don't only use their insulin when their sugar is high. Maybe they use some quick onset of insulin when they're eating or when their sugar is high acutely, but they always have that. Uh, delayed release insulin for all all the time. So diabetes has to be treated continuously. There is really nothing different than uh, psoriasis. Psoriasis is the same thing, it's a chronic disease. It has to be treated continuously in order to maintain the disease. Otherwise, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna have more flares and more faster or more uh, frequent flares, I should say. So if you wanna do this, and make the flares less frequent and extend that maintenance period, you need something. And that something ideally is the vitamin D3 analog. Even in our business, if you think about acne patients, right, we always treat acne patients with multiple approach, but the, the mother lesion of the acne is microcomedon. If you prevent the microcomedon. You're going to prevent acne. So what do we do? We always give topical retinoids, no matter what, as a maintenance. So I can give you examples, many more examples that with chronic disease, you have to treat chronic patients chronically with continuous treatment. And I actually, it's, it's funny, I am the only schmuck who takes Kentucky Medicaid. And I used to sit on their formulary board and I used to sit on many of the committees And all those non-managed care companies, they have actually what they call chronic disease management. Number one is diabetes, asthma, COPD. They haven't come down to dermatology yet because we don't spend as much money. But it's changing. And the first disease that they're going to require us have chronic management programs will be for psoriasis because of the biologics. Now they are on the screen, we're spending too much money with biologics and psoriasis treatment, so we're gonna have more chronic management issues. And we will be either rewarded or punished in the future how we are maintaining those patients and how much money we're spending. And they want us to maintain those patients on a regular basis rather than having these more flares. And that's gonna come down the pipe with the changing healthcare system with all that stuff They're going to require us to do better and to have less flares and more maintenance. And that's where actually uh, vitamin D3 is going to fit in. Now that brings us to the sequential treatment. Uh, And the whole purpose of sequential treatment is to maintain the achievement, the success with the topical corticosteroids that we have achieved and continue with the topical vitamin D3 analog. That's the whole purpose, to make the flares less frequent, to make the maintenance or the uh, regulation longer. So this is a uh, patient that actually came to me uh, from another dermatologist, and it's a 52-year-old white, obese man actually, had quite a bit of uh, psoriasis on the trunk, upper and lower extremities, and the scalp. And, um, He was given, he was using actually cycloprax shampoo, some concoction with fluorescent and salicylic acid, calcipitrion scalp lotion, as well as uh, some uh, clobetazole uh, lotion for the trunk and extremities. Now if you look at that list actually, you can get away with most of the stuff there and all you can do is use clobetazole spray because he was given all those different things because of the um, trunk, and extremity versus the scalp. Well, guess what? With the new Clobex spray with the targeted nozzle, you can use that the same nozzle for both scalp lesions. It will work really well as well as for the trunk because if you can hold it back and spritz it from far away, then you're going to use both the body as well as the scalp. So it's quite convenient and you can kill two birds with one stone with the new Clobetazole spray with the nozzle. But going back, if you look at the guy's history, he's one of your typical Uh, psoriasis patients that um, has all kinds of comorbidities, high blood pressure, sugar, metabolic syndrome, high cholesterol, so it's a tough patient to treat. On top of that, it's typical Kentucky patient smokes and drinks, and that makes it even more difficult to treat those patients, you know, you have to think about systemic treatment, and I would probably have thought about systemic treatment, but he did not have psoriatic arthritis. So that's a saving grace. He did not have psoriatic arthritis, but if he did, then now what do you do with the systemic treatment because his uh, probably liver is messed up with the drinking, with the diabetes, with the heart problems. Would you give him methotrexate? Would you give him ustekinumab? So it becomes quite a difficult management problem. You have to have a balancing act how to treat those patients, but in this case, uh, he didn't have psoriatic arthritis, so I said, okay, I'm going to try some good topicals. And I did uh, basically um, start him on the clobex for the first month. And again, the advantage of the clobex you can say, go ahead and use this for four weeks and come back in four weeks. And then hopefully, once he improves, then you can put him on maintenance treatment with the Vectical ointment. Um, so that's what I did. Okay, is there any data to support what I did? Uh, you know, we dermatologists do most of the things anecdotally, and uh, in the old days we didn't have much data, but now evidence based medicine is becoming more and more important. It's me- requested more and more from us and expected from the medical community. So, actually, there is a study, there is data to support what I did. So, the study was actually done by, um, sponsored by Galaderma because it's both of their products, uh, and uh, it was a multi-center open label study. The whole purpose of the study is what happens if you treat people with clobex for the first four weeks and then you switch them to Vectical, how much of the success, how much of the clearance they're going to be able to maintain. That's the purpose of the study. So in order to be qualified, you had to have moderate or severe psoriasis. So it's three or four on the overall disease severity. And they use the clobex spray twice a day for the first four weeks. And then after the four weeks, if they, did, uh, if they became clear, almost clear or mild, then they were rolled over, enrolled to the next part of the study, which is vectical ointment twice a day for eight weeks. So the whole study is 12 weeks. The first four weeks is Clobex, and then the eight weeks after that is vectical ointment. So let's see what happened. So of course they looked at overall disease severity, they looked at body surface area, they looked at side effect profile, and they, um, they looked at um, the signs and symptoms of psoriasis. So they looked at everything at every visit. So look here. We're starting with almost 70-somewhat percent with um, moderate patients and another 20 or 22 percent of severe patients. That at the baseline, the status of the patients. That's, that's the entry criteria. In two weeks, in two weeks, you can see the shift to the right. So basically, uh, 80% of those patients are becoming clear, almost clear or mild. So you are getting extremely good efficacy with your clobex spray in two weeks. Even though it's approved for four weeks, in the first two weeks, you're getting really good results. The other thing that you don't see here, actually, signs and symptoms of psoriasis and uh, pruritus is one of the things that bothers the patients the most even though when we were residents, they said, well, itching is not part of really psoriasis. If it itches, it's not psoriasis, it's eczema. And it's not true. A lot of psoriasis patients, especially scalp psoriasis patients, suffer through itching. And Clobex spray is one of the few topical steroids that we have data for pruritus, actually. And um, so their pruritus data, it's very, very good, uh, especially in, at week two spot. So anyway, then you continue another two weeks and you're getting the extra gravy here, now you're getting up to 93% clear or almost clear or mild, okay? So those patients, they stop the clove uh, x-ray at the end of the four weeks, and they carry it over to the next part of the study, which is vectical ointment for the next eight weeks twice a day. When you look here, out of that 92%, almost everybody is able to maintain their status for the next four weeks. No clobex spray, no steroid. Next four weeks, nobody is getting worse. Then, if you go another four weeks out, now that number is coming down a little bit. So, about 74, 75% of the patients are still maintaining their efficacy. They are still clear, almost clear, or mild at the end of the eight weeks without any steroids. Uh, so, the number went a little bit down from 92% to about 74% or so. But still, that means that two, third out, of, uh, two out of your th- uh, three patients are still maintaining their efficacy. That's without any steroid. That's just with the vectical ointment. If you look at the body surface area, you're starting somewhere around 7%. In four weeks, the Clobex is bringing that down to 4% body surface area. And then you stop the Clobex. Again, you're doing the Vectical now twice a day for the next eight weeks. And so you're able to maintain that 4% body surface area throughout the eight weeks without any steroid again. So really this tells you that if you stop your steroid and now we're talking about class one, really strong, really efficacious steroid, you're still able to maintain almost all your body surface area clearance for another eight weeks with your vectical ointment. So that's your maintenance treatment, basically. That's what you're treating. That's you're treating your molecular scar. And you can see here, this is actually a patient from the study itself. In the first baseline, really have a nice thick scaly plaque which has cleared with the Clobax at the end of the four weeks. That's a nice clearance. And then, for another eight weeks, your vectical, you're getting a little bit of little tiny scale there, but not big much, not big whoop there. So you're able to maintain that clearance with your vectical ointment. When you look at the tolerability, uh, it's a pretty good um, uh, tolerability profile. The only thing you see what happens is when you stop the uh, clobax, which is really has a good anti effect, with the vertical, without the clovex, the pruritus goes up a little bit. But everything else, is no big change there. But pruritus does go up, and that's something we should be aware of. Other adverse events. Now, before I go over other adverse events, I have to tell you, for those of us who do clinical studies, we have to report everything that goes wrong with the patient during a clinical study. So that means that if the wife beats the husband during the clinical study, I have to report it to the FDA. If the kid falls down from the tree and breaks his arm, I have to report it to FDA. So those are considered adverse events, but doesn't necessarily mean related to the study drug. So in this case, you can see there were about nine serious adverse events, really bad things happened, but those are all not related. There is, um, I think gunshot wound, you know, you cannot blame that on vertical or clawbacks. There is a spinal cord injury. There is um, worsening of bipolar disorder, so worsening of depression, so all kind of bad things that happen has nothing to do with the study drug, but again, we have to report it. That's how it goes. Now, so in summary, the bottom line is that sequential treatment we, most of us are familiar with, and sometimes most of us do other, a different version of sequential treatment, sometimes rotational, sometimes it's weekend, and weak. The bottom line is we all have a way of maintaining the disease with the vitamin D3, and that is the most important thing. So in this case, what they have done is four weeks of uh, clobex, eight weeks of Vectical, and the patients were able to maintain their clearance and their uh, success rate. And that is the most important thing. More importantly, however, we have to remember and we have to remind our patients that psoriasis is a chronic disease. There is the concept of the molecular scar. Even though the lesion is gone visibly to our eyes, there is inflammation going on under the skin that we have to treat somehow, and probably your treatment option will be a vitamin D3 analog in order to avoid the side effects of the corticosteroids. I think that's the end of my spiel, and if you have any questions, I'll be more than happy to answer them, and feel free to write them if you don't want to ask them in person. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no worries. I
1: understand you may not can see us. Um, I have a question just about your your clinical practice um, in terms of vitamin D levels. Do you check vitamin D levels in your psoriatic patients and um, do you recommend systemic vitamin D?
0: You know that's a million dollar question. I personally don't check sor- uh, vitamin D levels because I don't think um, systemic levels of the vitamin D helps the psoriasis. We don't have any information or knowledge or anybody has looked at that. On the other hand, I know almost every primary care doctor now is checking vitamin D levels, including myself, and mine was low, so I am on vitamin D supplement. So that's sort of the hot thing now. is checking it, but I personally don't do it, and maybe I should be doing it.
1: Dr. Kursik, here's a three-point question. How do you keep your patients on the CALSA trial? Uh, this practitioner's patients all end up just going to Clobetasol in, in reality. So how do you keep them on both? Right. So really, uh,
0: it's, it's as I said, it's very hard to treat something that you don't see, right? Uh, but what I do is, I sort of, the way I do it, I give them the Clobetasol spray and I tell them go ahead and use it for the first four weeks and then please come back. And if they are doing well, then I don't give them a refill of the Clobex anymore, so I give them a, um, the vertical ointment. So they really, if they have a flare, they have to come back to get another Clobex spray prescription unless they have some leftover, which is fine. The other thing, if I know the patient a little bit better, and if I trust they're their compliant, then what I do in my practice, and this is off-label, but what I do is I use the Clobex in the morning and then use the Vectical in the evening. So now then, you're decreasing your use of the steroid, and then I, te- I bring them back again, and if they are doing well, I said, you know what? Okay, stop the Clovex and just use your Vectical. Uh, but again, it's really a fine balance, and that's where the practicing of medicine, the art of practicing medicine comes in. You sort of have to know the patient and
1: arrange it accordingly. Should pe- people stay on an oral vitamin D while using calcitriol? Um, okay, so
0: when we did the studies were done, there is a one year long term safety study, which was an open label uh, study with Vectical. Okay, and they looked at they looked at uh, hyper um, hypercalcemia, and um, there were they divided it into four periods. The the study was divided into four quarters and then each quarter they looked at the uh, patients who had hyper abnormal um, calcium levels. And there were 11 events uh, with 10 patients. So there were 10 subjects who had abnormal levels but it was only within the 5% or so above upper normal level. And none of them were clinically significant. When they did those studies, though those patients were excluded, they were not allowed to take any vitamin D product. There were absolutely no absorption of actually calcitriol uh, in the blood. So the bottom line is I am not worried about um, hypercalcemia, especially that given the fact that you have 200 grams per week allowable by FDA. So the short answer to the question is if they need it, if their calcium, uh, their vitamin D level is low, yes, let them be on it. If they don't need it, I don't know why they should be on it anyway.
1: And then the last part of this three point was any, are there any international journals out there that refer to food and diet playing a role in inflammation? You know, uh, I don't
0: know if any articles on food and diet on inflammation. I think the inflammation is now, so we know that, uh, I can answer it this way, we know there are a lot of comorbidities with the psoriasis patient. And there's a lot of um, adipose tissue inflammation. There's biologics, biologic companies have done a lot of work on those, looking at the comorbidities and how those overall inflammatory state of the body affects not only psoriasis but heart disease, hypercholesterolemia, um, cardiovascular, all that stuff, but I don't know directly if the food affects it or these people are innately, you know, they are um, uh, they are wired to have that inflammation. I don't know the answer.
1: Yes? Yes, are you using Vectical um, as monotherapy in intragenous areas? And if so, uh, how are your patients doing with that?
0: Okay, so there is actually, and I'm sure Galaderma people are here. They know the. They know the study. There was a study, a uh, European study that they did. Um, uh, they did for uh, Vectical for the intertriginous areas, and yes, so it does work much better than Dolvenex because Dolvenex had about 20% irritation rate on the intertriginous areas, and the patients with Vectical did much much better.
1: Are the vitamin D analogs stable and light, and is there any, you know, option of applying one? Is it better to apply at bedtime? And then is there an, also then, second point is, what's the evidence of the QD versus BID dosing for vitamin D? Is, is BID much better? Okay, so the, um, the approval of, again, this is going
0: to become off-label so that you know the unlabeled vertical ointment is approved twice a day for eight weeks and Soyuz is Dovonex is approved for uh, twice a day. So both anal- uh, vitamin D3 analogs are approved twice a day. So I don't think there is any study that has compared head-to-head BID versus QD and if BID is better or not. So the answer is I don't know. However, in my practice, what I do is, as I said earlier, I try to do the Clobex or whatever topical steroid I'm using in the morning and then the ointment, in the evening so that people can use the ointment formulation, put their pajamas on, and go to bed, because ointment, you know, it's not easy to use during the day.
1: Here's an, here's an off-label question. Have you had any experience using Vectical in Grover's disease? Nope, I don't. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Other than intratili- intralesional kenalog, what topicals are useful for nail psoriasis? OK, so
0: actually, uh. That's a very appropriate question, because um, Bonnie Oluski, who's one of the nail experts, she always says that vitamin D3 works very well for nail psoriasis. Um, every lecture that I have listened from her, she talks about that, and she has some data, I think, on her own, that vitamin D3 products works very well for nail psoriasis. But also, tazarotene may work very well for nail psoriasis. But I can also say that nothing
1: works well for nail psoriasis. <laughs> How long should patients discontinue clobetasol before restarting to help avoid suppression of the HP access?
0: <laughs> well, um, I think, okay, so if you go over the medical legal thing, you can always say that, well, I used it for two weeks, I can stop it for, a, for two days, and then I can restart it again. But I don't know if that's going to help to suppress the to avoid the suppression of the HBA access suppression. So uh, I don't think we have any data on that. That how long you stop and then you try again and what's going to happen to the HBA access suppression? I don't know.
1: What is your experience of using Vectical in narrowband UVB patients? Is there a synergistic effect?
0: Okay, so. I think there is another European study. So one of the concerns is, you know, you don't want to put the vertical and then go into the light box because it will decrease the effectiveness, all that stuff. So I usually tell people use it at night and then come back the next day. Um, again this is off, la- off label. I tell my patients come back the next morning so it's going to be okay. You have at least 12 hours in between. And anytime you do anything, any combination treatment, most of the time is better than a monotherapy. So it does, uh, it certainly does help. I mean, narrowband UVB works really well if the patients show up three times a week for about four to six weeks. We all know that. It's just that people don't show up.
1: What other regimens or techniques have you found successful with rotating therapies?
0: Well, you know, um, if you talk to Dr. Mark Lebel and John Koo, they are sort of the, really the experts of those what I call the sequential treatment, rotational treatment. Um, you know, sometimes they use the weekend and weekday business, but I don't like the weekend weekday business because it gets confusing. People don't sometimes remember what they ate last night. You know, did I use the Vectical or did I use the Clovex, Which one I did? So I I like A.M. P.M. Uh, and then the moment I don't need the steroid, I stop it, and then continue the Vectical alone but there are a bunch of different combinations. Sometimes some people use it every other day, one day uh, vitamin D, one day steroid. Some people use the steroid only on the weekends, the vitamin three on the weekends. So really there are so many, but only so far as a study wise, I think Galadurma has done it. I just showed you one study. There is another study that they did basically the weekend and weekday, and they also did the road a.m. p.m. Uh, and they were all with good results.
1: <clears throat> Medicare patients can't afford Vectical and clobex spray typically. What is the best in your opinion, what is the best uh, option that 's affordable to those patients?
0: Well, I guess if uh, the, the generics are allowed, then you have to go with the generics, but really, 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 there is big, big difference with the Clobex spray and the generic, any other generic Chlobetazole formulation, I can tell you that much. Because I'm sort of, um, I really like to look into vehicles. And if you look at the Clobex vehicle, there's something called in it isopropyl mistrate, IPM, which increases the, uh, enhances the absorption of the Chlobetazole. And that's very unique. That's only in the spray formulation. You cannot get that uh, in the generic formulations. The other thing with the generic formulations is, they add a lot of propylene glycol. Propylene glycol is a great penetration enhancer because again, you can have the best molecule but if it doesn't penetrate stratum corneum, it's not gonna get there into the skin. So in order to achieve that, um, the effect, generic companies use propylene glycol a lot. Now then, if you increase the propylene glycol at higher amounts, Propylene glycol is actually a number one of the biggest uh, contact irritants. So you're going to end up with all that itching and burning, and it happens all the time. Sometimes patients get one prescription, they go to the pharmacy, they are very happy, they are using that, and then next month they go to another pharmacy or the pharmacy, the generic the jure that day is another generic that they used last month, and now they come back and say, doc, it's the same drug, it's irritating, it's burning my skin. It's very simple because the propane glycol amount is different in that generic. If there were only one generic of every drug, it would have been wonderful because you know what they will be getting. But there are so many generics that we have no control and we have no knowledge of what they are getting. Now you're stuck with this variety. And believe it or not, most people don't know this, the FDA allowable is for generics is anywhere from 80% of the branded products to 120%. So you can have a prescription product, a generic, that's as effective as 80% of the original branded product or 120% of the uh, branded product. It can be more effective or less effective. So now that you have, if you do the math, you end up with a 45% gap. So it can be anywhere on that 45%, the generic they are getting. And the best example of this when it comes to Coumadin. Poor old people, their PTPTT is always out of whack. I do most surgery, they come, they bleed like a pig, or they don't bleed at all. And the reason for that is, every month they get a different Coumadin generic, and sometimes their PTPTT is so crazy, sometimes it's normal, sometimes it's not right. And they go crazy, every week they go, they get their PTPTT check. It's not that they're doing anything, it's just they're getting a different uh, Coumadin generic.
1: That was it, thank Sorry, you.
0: Sorry, I get excited about generics. <laughs> thank okay, thank you.